Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life. Hello, welcome to the Commercial Disco Podcast. I'm James Riley. Today I'm talking to Sue Kay, a robotics expert, you'd have to say. Sue is an adjunct professor at QUT. She is the chair of Robotics Australia Group and a fellow at the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering. Previously, the CEO of Queensland AI Hub and led the cyber physical systems research at CSIRO's Data61. Welcome, Sue. Yeah, thanks, James, for having me. Look, I'm just going to start by asking you, where did the original interest in robotics come from? How did you get into it? And where did you find the people and mentors and opportunities in Australia in robotics? Well, it's quite a circuitous route. My original training was as a scientist specialising in earth sciences, in particular in isotope geochemistry. And I had absolutely no interest in robots at all. I think I've always been interested in new technologies, but it didn't really see much relevance in robotics. And so the only reason that I'm in robotics is all my sister's fault. My sister is the managing director of Silicon Valley Robotics over in the US. And for many years, she was telling the family that robotics was the way of the future and we really should get on board. But as I am the younger sister, I actually took it as my duty to ignore everything that she said. But then an opportunity came up to use my skills that I developed in research management and commercialization to apply those to the formation of the world's first centre, trying to combine robotics and computer vision, the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision. And when that opportunity came up, the first person I called was my sister, and she told me I'd be crazy if I didn't take that opportunity. In terms of how I've found mentors and opportunities within robotics in Australia, I think that first introduction to robotics through the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision was quite transformative because I got to spend my days walking into an active robotics laboratory and seeing firsthand what the amazing opportunities could be presented by these technologies that were being developed and also get an appreciation of the amazing talent that we have in Australia who are doing research in these areas. And then I just naturally got curious about, well, what companies do we have in this area who potentially we could see this research handed over to, you know, make it so that it gets to a commercial product. And I suppose that's where a lot of things began because at the time it really wasn't very well known what Australia's robotics industry looked like, you know, how many people it employed, what it was worth to the Australian economy. And these were all questions that frustrated me. So I looked around the rest of the world to see how other countries went about knowing this information and noticed that a lot of them had developed their own national robotics roadmaps. So that then sort of became my mission while I was at the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision to really try and map out what the capability in robotics in Australia was. And I think that led to quite a journey. 
So tell me this, from your original studies, I guess you're talking about mineral isotopes, is that right? A mineral physicist of some kind? Geochronologist is the most precise term. I used the decay of radioactive isotopes to work out the age of rocks. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Now, I think you've spent some time in the mining sector, and I, I guess as an industry, you know, Australia doesn't really have scale in many industries, but obviously mining is one of them. But also, I would think a lot of opportunity for remote automation, robotics, all sorts of technology that you could apply in that area. Has that been your experience? I think arguably Western Australia is the world's largest laboratory for field robotics research on the planet. and. I think Australians should be very proud of the fact that our mining industry was the first in the world to automate many of its mine sites. And that legacy, I think, has a significant impact. I think that there's still a lot more we can do, though. We really started to push ahead with the development of those first robots on mine sites. But the question that comes to my mind whenever I visit a mine site is actually where are all the robots? <laughs> because we, we develop these amazing machines that carry 400 tonnes of rock on the surface, but then it's almost like we stalled a bit. It's hard to make sure you can integrate all those processes across what is quite a complex system. So there's a huge amount of opportunity yet to come in the mining industry and all industries really. If we can stay on the mining industry, I find that quite fascinating. Our expertise in robotics and that kind of remote automation and all the software and stuff that goes with it, that came from the push from the mining sector. I mean, was it the CSIRO kind of jumping in through Data61 or whatever it was in building robotics capability to feed into industry or was it kind of the other way around? Well, it was probably a fortunate confluence of events. So Australia has had a focus on what we call field robotics. So robots that are very robust and reliable and can operate in outdoor conditions, which often they need to do in a country like Australia, because we are a vast continent with only a small population and there's a limit to what we can do just using people. And so a lot of the technology that was being developed was around solving particular Australian challenges, like how you get robots to operate in environments where they can't see satellites, so can't get information about where they're located. And all of that expertise actually was able to be focused towards the mining industry when one of the major players in the mining industry decided they wanted to develop a mine of the future. And uh, they decided to do that by developing autonomous load haulage vehicles or big robot trucks to move material around sites. And it led to a big increase, particularly in safety, but also in productivity, just because you can more systematize the way that you run operations because the robots always do the same thing. They're very reliable in that way. So in terms of the commercialization, and I want to get to this national strategy and the Robotics Australia group and dig into that, but just before we do, in terms of the commercial opportunity or commercialization of some of those original mine site robotics, is it the case that those applications kind of get sucked into the larger companies and haven't been spun out as, I don't know, exportable startup-y type commercial operations? How's that panned out? Yeah, I think that one of the challenges that we face in mining, just as we do in defence, in defence we don't have any Australian primes in mining, we don't have many what we call OEMs, original equipment manufacturers who are based in Australia. And so 
the Australian technology that was developed that led to the development of those autonomous haulage systems was licensed to overseas original equipment manufacturers. All right, so there's some work to be done then, to, I guess, to extract the full value from that kind of IP. So let's move to the National Robotics Strategy. There's been consultations going on. Just describe to us what that strategy might look like. What's it trying to achieve? Well, I can't really speak on behalf of the department, but I can tell you what I'm hoping it's going to achieve, and and that is that it really sets a vision for where we want to be as a nation in terms of robotics, because I think until we actually articulate what it is that we want to be, then we're never going to get there. And I think it's true if we look at how other countries have progressed in this area that they've been pretty specific about what they want to achieve. So China, South Korea, the US all have pretty clear maps of where they want to go and how they're going to get there. And we've just been missing that in Australia. And so unfortunately, while we are capable of developing fantastic talent and technologies, As my sister can attest, a lot of that goes straight overseas. So she sees a lot of Australian robotics companies who don't seek funding here in Australia and they head straight over to countries like the US. Okay, so the Robotics Australia Group is effectively an industry representative body for the robotics sector. So I'm assuming you've done some work around what the opportunity is that can feed into that strategy. So tell us, what does the Robotics Australia Group look like and what's the opportunity you're trying to address and what do you want Australia to position itself to do? Yeah. Well, we developed as the peak body for the robotics industry in Australia and we were formed in response to the findings that came out of the first robotics roadmap for Australia that while Australia had the bones of a good robotics industry, that in general people's perceptions of our robotics industry was that it was immature, that it was fragmented and that it was invisible. And so Robotics Australia Group formed directly to try and overcome those challenges. So what we would like to see is that Australia can be a global leader in the supply of robotics products and services by as early as 2030, because we think we have a lot of good opportunities. You know, robotics overlaps very strongly in the AI space. And so we think there is probably quite a market for Developing hardware that uses AI that people know they can trust from a country like Australia, where we're building things that are consistent with our values. But to do that, we need for a few things to happen. The number one issue facing robotics companies in Australia is access to capital. So to see our robotics industry grow, we really need to substantially increase that and help to overcome those funding gaps help support these companies to export because in many cases the Australian market is really not large enough to support the growth of many of these companies and really we need to get some better collaboration happening between governments, large companies to invest in these companies so that unlike what has been happening in defence and mining, those sectors can actually look to some smaller companies to supply their needs or a consortium of smaller companies rather than having to rely on those larger overseas companies. The other thing that we really need is access to good talent. So making sure that there are opportunities for the mechatronics engineers and others that we're graduating who could contribute to the robotics industry here. We need to find reasons that that talent can stay here in Australia. And finally, we need to find some ways that we can pull the industry together so that companies within the industry are aware of the work that each is doing 
I mean, we have a lot of companies that we call, we say, are developing robotics-related technologies. So people who are developing computer vision algorithms, people who are developing sensors, all of these are very important in the supply chain of producing a robot. They're equally important companies that we need to be able to have grow here in Australia so that we can build that sovereign capability and, and have a sustainable robotics industry here. Okay, well, tell me, as a very basic level, with all these ancillary sort of research areas around computer vision and sensors and those kinds of things, I wonder, how do you define a robot? It seems to me it has kind of horizontal applications across every area from undersea drones to literal agricultural field robots. Is there a definition that you guys work from? Well, I mean, I like to just say that they're intelligent machines. They're capable of taking actions that make sense to us as humans. And, and of course, they exist in the physical world. So that might be in the air, in the sea, on land. It is a pretty broad area. I'd have to say that of all the submissions that were made into the National Robotics Strategy, the definition of robotics was probably one of the most contentious issues. So you're never going to get anyone give you the same answer twice. But I mean, I think most people can imagine what a robot looks like. I think what comes as a surprise to most people is that Robots don't necessarily always look like robots, just as cars can now be robots. You know, they don't necessarily fit any particular pattern, but they are physical objects that take action in the world and are making decisions separate from people. So has the Robotics Australia Group had a stab at size of potential market here? Like, I mean, or is that a, a figure that doesn't make sense because it is such a broad kind of spectrum of technology? Yeah, it is difficult. I think that the best that we could hope for is trying to aspire to some revenue figures for our robotics industry. But as you say, it is very broad. And some companies, robotics is only one of the things that they do, not the whole business. So trying to unpick exactly how much you could attribute to robotics based on, for example, the number of robots that are sold is actually quite difficult because that doesn't take into account licensing fees for things like computer vision algorithms, the sensors that are being put onto the robots. It's not simple, but having said that, I think that we can do a lot better in terms of the data collection. And that's one of the things that we're aiming to do so that we can feed into those statistics and potentially that the Australian Bureau of Statistics can, as I believe they're going to try and do for technology, actually separate out more information about the companies that are in that space. Because at the moment, they're divided across all different industry classifications. Okay, there's a couple of things that you brought up. One was access to capital. I'm going to start with that one. What are you actually asking for here? That seems like an odd one. There is a, an active VC market out there. There are various mechanisms through government that I assume the robotic sector can access. So specifically, what would you like to see in place to ensure that those smaller companies get access to the capital that they need? I think it has to be a range of strategies because venture capital is not suitable for all companies and for their ambitions. A lot of companies are not looking for an exit. They would just like to be able to scale and grow and be successful Australian companies without looking for some big unicorn exit in the future. Having said that, our venture capital is nowhere near where it needs to be in terms of the investment needed. Robotics does have the downfall of being hardware, and so it is not as cheap and easy. It is more capital intensive than software businesses, and it requires a more sophisticated investors. So, you know, often the term deep tech is used to describe the area where robotics sits, and we have very few robotics-focused funds. So, I think the access for Australian companies to venture capital and any company in Australia to venture capital is not where you would see in other countries, and we need to fix that. 
but also potentially access to loans, to some sort of government incentives. What we see in other countries are schemes where, for example, companies who are adopting robots are given incentives to buy robots that are made in that country. That would be a simple one. You know, then that is helping to stimulate market demand, but also helping to supply capital to Australian robotics companies. So, I mean, I think we should throw whatever policy we can at this because the capital question can be answered a number of different ways for our Australian robotics companies. And I think a range of solutions is probably the best answer. All right. I want to ask you now about talent and access to talent. You mentioned that we produce some great engineers in lots of different areas and then they end up going overseas. This is a broad problem or has been a broad problem over the years. So how do we get around that? And I wanted to ask you, sorry, this is a a little bit of a tangent, but that DARPA subterranean challenge, I think there was a Data61 team that came second in that. It was a global challenge. Do we still have any of those engineers or have they all been picked up by overseas interests? We do have some. Some have gone to local companies and some have gone overseas. I think the importance is to have balance. I think before COVID, Australia was actually fairly lucky at being able to maintain a bit of a balance, at least in the AI space, of we would lose people, but we would also gain about the same number of people. And I'm not sure what the figures look like now, but if we are to grow, then obviously we need to position ourselves as an attractive environment for that talent, whether that be attractive for Australians to stay here and build businesses in Australia or whether that be by skilled migration or by attracting some of the people that we've lost to come back. All of those things need to be considered in terms of how we can build that talent pool. All right, Professor Sue Kay, Chair of the Robotics Australia Group, I have a couple of final questions. You touched very briefly on defence. Defence would be an active user of robotics in all sorts of areas. One of the great challenges seems to be to get, you know, the innovative Australian tech companies, regardless of the emerging tech that they're involved in, and to get them as suppliers into defence supply chains. (laughs) It's a thorny issue. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're quite right. It is thorny. But I think full credit to our Department of Defence and to our military for trying to sort it out. So, There have already been a number of programs put in place since the Army developed its robotics and autonomous system strategy directly aimed to help to support Australian companies to supply into defence. I think there's still probably a long way to go in terms of reducing the amount of time it takes to get government contracts and trying to smooth some procurement processes so that they're easier for small businesses. You could say exactly the same for mining. I mean, I think mining would also benefit from being able to access a lot of the talent and technologies that exist in these small to medium-sized businesses, and it's a way of finding mechanisms that work to make that happen. But I think that defence is actually a shining light in some respects of, of what can be done when you put your mind to it, and already we've seen that through some of the challenges that Defence have put out, some local companies have been working together, actually expanding what they can do by virtue of being forced to collaborate to respond to some of these challenges. And we just need to see more of that. But I think the reason that Defence is in that position is because they recognise that we need to have sovereign capability in these technologies. And I think that probably is something that I didn't emphasize right at the beginning. You know, in some ways, this shouldn't really be a matter of, well, do we choose to have a robotics industry or, you know, maybe we don't really need one. It's like, well, 
actually, you know, for a number of reasons, we need to be able to build this material here in Australia and build these machines. And we definitely need people who have expertise and understand how these machines work because other countries do. And, you know, we are in competition with all of them. We just really can't afford to sit back and and hope that we can buy it off the shelf from other people. It seems that we do have a habit of doing that. Let me ask you about the National Reconstruction Fund. Obviously, there's not a lot of detail out there about how that's going to operate. But I mean, does that give you some hope that there is funding coming downstream, the combination of that industry growth program and the National Reconstruction Fund? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we would love it if there was just some money that was made available that's clearly earmarked for trying to help create a sustainable robotics industry. But the National Reconstruction Fund potentially will provide some pathways into overcoming the gaps that I mentioned around access to capital and, you know, encouraging talent to be here in Australia. So, yeah, as you said, we don't know the details of that yet and it's going to require co-investment, but hopefully we can make that happen. All right, just one final question. You talked about the need really to make robotics generally more visible in the community and and in industry. So how do we do that? And do we need to kind of have a robotics centre? Does Sydney need to be the robotics centre or Brisbane need to be the robotics centre? What are we talking about? Yeah, I would really hesitate to try and single out a particular area because then it creates unnecessary competition rather than collaboration in my view. I think that we just need to make sure that we have robotics research located in clusters close to where robotics companies are so that we can have that great synergy between research and industry. But I think to your point about the public and visibility, really what we need in robotics is a a robot chat GPT because the way people now interact with artificial intelligence and their understanding of artificial intelligence It has improved significantly because people can actually use ChatGPT as a tool, experiment with it themselves, and I guess make their own decisions about what that technology is and how it might impact on their lives. We just don't have anything similar in robotics because most people wouldn't see a robot most days or even most years apart from potentially a toy robot. And that doesn't really give you an idea of the capability. So until robots become more widespread or we develop a robot version of chat GPT, I think people are going to continue to, one, not even understand that Australia builds its own robots, but two, not really understand what the capability of those robots are. And then unfortunately, when you know you have unknown areas, people do tend to be quite intimidated and afraid. So we really need to be able to get the technology into people's hands and into their everyday and their work lives to get that level of understanding and for people to really also see what I did when I started working in a robotics lab of like some of the amazing stuff that robots can do. Also some of the really stupid and incompetent stuff that robots do as well, which can be very reassuring because, you know, robots are not humans and, you know, they're never going to be a replacement for humans. Professor Sue Kay, Chair of Robotics Australia Group, thanks so much for joining us on the Commercial Disco. That was a fantastic conversation. We'll be watching the robotics sector closely in the coming years. Thanks, James. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast, proudly brought to you by CSIRO. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us. For the latest on tech, innovation and public policy, visit innovationoz.com. And stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests. 
Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you an inspired week ahead.